morning. If you have a blue outline, go ahead and get it. Today we're going to be talking about heaven. The truth is this. Sometimes we get a whole lot more excited about earth than we do about heaven. But one reason is that we don't comprehend just how great heaven is going to be. So I want to ask you a question. Do you love earth? For most of us, we at least love parts of earth. I love a beautiful sunset. I love the waves coming up on the beach. I love weather in Mobile in December. This is great. They're swimming in snow in the northeast. And oh, it was 61 degrees yesterday when I was out mowing the lawn. I said, oh, this is a little chilly today. Yeah. What does living in Mobile in the winter mean to me? It means waking up with the heater on in the house, but by 2 p.m. the air conditioner is going full blast. Yeah. It means starting off the day with a light jacket, but taking that off by noon. So there's a lot that I like about this place we call earth, even though it's broken. A lot of our ideas about heaven come from, come from Hollywood, not the Bible. In heaven, I don't think that you're going to be a chubby cherub floating on a cloud wearing a white robe playing a harp. To me, that would be hell. I can't think of anything more boring than to be in a place with no color playing a harp. And how many of you can really even picture me playing a harp? Lead guitar, maybe. But not a harp. So this is what Colossians 3 says. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Would you circle realities of heaven? Circle that. Not what Hollywood says. Not what some artist has thought up in their mind and painted on a piece of canvas. But the realities of heaven. The only place where we're going to find that is in the Bible. So we want to look at four questions. What is heaven? Where is heaven? What is heaven like? And how do I get there? So the first one. What is heaven? Well, it's several things. Number one, heaven is the place where God lives and rules. Heaven is the place where God lives and rules. In the Bible, it's called the dwelling place of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It goes by a number of different names. In Psalm 123.1, it says, Lord, I look up to You, up to heaven where You rule. So what is heaven? It is the place where God lives and rules. Next one. It's a real place. Heaven is a real place. It is not some disembodied condition. 
It is not some place, some dream state where you are suspended with no feelings or emotions. The Bible says that heaven is a real place. A few hours before the cross, this is what Jesus said to His disciples, In my Father's house are many rooms. And He goes on to say, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. In Matthew 6.20, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. If heaven was just some state of mind, then you would not be able to store anything in it. You have to have a place in order to store something. So what is heaven? It is the place where God lives and rules. It is a real place. Number three, it's a place designed for us. Heaven is a place designed for us. A number of Wednesday nights ago, we went through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis verse by verse. The very first thing that we learn is God specially designed earth for people to live on. And in the same way that God designed earth for us to live here, He designed heaven. The difference is, is heaven is a perfect place with none of the problems associated with earth. In Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So heaven has been prepared for us since the creation of the world. It is not something that God just thought up at the last minute. It's not a part of His alternative plan. It's not plan B. From the very beginning of time, God has designed heaven as a place where He wants us to spend eternity with Him. In Hebrews 13.14, For this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our city in heaven which is yet to come. The reality is we are just passing through. And that's the reason why every believer ought to be issued a green card because this is not our ultimate citizenship. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. While we're here, we're simply passing through. So what is heaven? It is the place where God lives and rules. It is a real place. It is a place that God has designed for us. Next question. Where is heaven? Where exactly is heaven? This is all we know, and it can be summarized in one very simple, easy-to-follow statement. It's out of this world. That's true. That's that's all we know about it. I cannot give you some coordinates that you can put in a telescope or point to some place in the sky where you can look with your binoculars and say, well, right between those two stars, that's where heaven is. In Psalm 53, 2, 
It says, God looks down from heaven at people to see if there are any who are wise, any who worship Him. Anytime the Bible says God looks down or God is looking around, that's just a figure of speech, right? God's presence is everywhere. He doesn't have to look anywhere. He's just there. And so even though we do not know the exact location, I have some really good news. You ready? We know the way there. That's the important thing. In John 14, Jesus said to His disciples, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you so you can come and be with me. And I love Thomas. Thomas the disciple was there. Thomas said, well, Lord, that's that's just great, but how do we know where you are? How do we know the way there? Jesus answered. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So where is heaven? It's somewhere out there. The important thing is, Jesus is the way there. What is heaven like? That's the next question. To a large degree, heaven is a mystery, and it will always remain a mystery, because you and I do not have the mental capacity to comprehend anything beyond our three-dimensional world. We live on a physical planet that physically rotates around the sun every 365 days. And so you and I understand the physical concept of time. We understand a beginning and an end. We understand when something starts at 12 noon and it ends at 4 p.m. But we are incapable of understanding eternity. We know in theory that there is a place where there is no beginning and end, but we really don't understand that because we don't have anything to compare it to. Job 11.7 Can you understand the mystery surrounding God all-powerful? Are you and I really capable in this human physical form of understanding an all-powerful, almighty God? Do you remember the first time you tried to explain to your children what Disney World was going to be like? You know, they were just, you know, like, wherever. So, well, we're going to this place down in Orlando, Florida, and it's called Disney World. And you, you, you know, your little two, three-year-olds just kind of looking at you. Say, it's going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be candy, and there's going to be fun rides, and there's this little, there's this place called It's a Small World after all. And they get down there, and they actually see it, and it's so much better than you described. In fact. Your children actually believe they are in heaven. A lot of times. There are some experiences, experiences in life that are indescribable. Mothers. 
You remember that whole birthing process, right? Yeah, it was tough on the husbands. Just messing with you. Just just messing. Do you remember when they brought your baby? You know, you're in there and you've just and you just you're you're holding your little baby. As a husband, we had feelings. We had feelings, okay? As a husband, we had a level of feeling. I don't think a husband can fully understand or comprehend what you felt as a mother holding your child for the first time. You carried your baby for six months. You went through all the pain of bringing it into the world. And now it's in your arms. What did I say? How long did I say? Did I say six weeks? Six months. All right. All right. Well, nine then. Okay. Listen, mine's 20 years old. It's been a while. I forgot how long it is. I forgot completely how long the whole thing goes. Yeah. You see, that's that's a man. We forget things. If it was a woman, she'd have the nine months down. So this is 1 Corinthians 2, 9. I'm glad y'all, y'all just love correcting me. Y'all, I haven't, you haven't, you haven't smiled or laughed like that. I don't know in how long. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. So you take the top ten best experiences in your life, multiply it by one billion, and it's going to fall far short of what it's going to be like to be in a perfect place. And so everything we're saying this morning is just a pale explanation of what it's really going to be like. Because we really can't comprehend it. So here's some things. Let's take a look at some things that are not going to be in heaven and some things that will be in heaven. Here's five things that will not be in heaven. Number one, no sickness. We have several out today feeling you know, sick in the stomach, maybe a flu virus or no sickness in heaven. Why? Because you're going to get a brand new perfect body. You're not going to have any physical needs in heaven. Take a look at this passage. The implications of this passage are very powerful in 1 Corinthians 15.2. Everyone dies. You want to know why everyone dies? Because all of us are related to Adam, the first man. But all who are related to Christ, the other man, will be given new life. Right now, you and I have a human body just like that of the first man, Adam, that is subject to sickness and disease and and illness and death. But one day, we're going to be given a brand new body that's not going to be subject to any of those things. So there'll be no sickness. And there'll be no sadness. There isn't going to be any sadness. Revelation 7.17, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more broken hearts or rejection or loneliness or sorrow or grief or heartache or depression. Those of you who are going through grief for a loved one or are depressed 
that just makes heaven a little more closer, right? So there's going to be any more sadness. Three, there isn't going to be any suffering. All suffering will be in the past. And all of us go through suffering on different levels, emotional, physical. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Now watch this. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. I was trying to think, what does this mean in practical terms to you and me today? It means this. You and your wife will never again argue over the thermostat control. How many of you have had arguments over thermostat controls? At least one thermostat control argument. Your wife says you're keeping the house too cool. And so when you're not looking, she pushes the lever over the other way. Or puts the heat lever up. Here's some really good news. In heaven, every room will be climate controlled. That's what Jesus said. Well, he didn't say climate control. But he said, there's going to be a whole bunch of rooms in my mansion, and I'm assuming every room is going to have its own control just right, right over there. You get the idea. Every one of your needs will be met. Every one of your needs will be satisfied. Then there won't be any sin. That's good news. Get tired of sinning. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. The Bible says that Jesus came to the earth lived a perfect life, died on the cross so your sins and mine can be forgiven and we can be made perfect inside so that when we get to heaven and stand in the presence of God Almighty, we will be holy and blameless. I'm looking forward to the moment when I no longer have any hang-ups or fears or guilt or resentment or bitterness, or anger, or envy, or jealousy. The bottom line is this. You're going to be a whole lot more fun to be with in heaven. And I am too. And you know what we're going to do? You're going to come over to my place and hang out for a million years. Right? Then, I'm coming over to your place and we're going to hang out like for a million years. And after two million years have gone by, you know what? we won't be any closer or any further away from the beginning or the end. So there isn't going to be any of the sin to deal with because a lot of times we like that Scripture, don't we? The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't you just hate sinning? Look forward when that won't be to the time when that won't be an option. And there won't be any death. Look at this in Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Would you take a look at the last one? No more pain. Those of you who are living in chronic pain, this is great news. I'm glad that I'm not going to have to live for eternity with all of my habits, all of my hurts, and all of my one or two hang-ups. Possibly. So what won't there be in heaven? No sickness, no sadness, 
no suffering, no sin, no death. Now here's five things that will be in heaven. Number one, we're going to find a great reunion. There's going to be reunion. Reunion. All believers are going to be reunited. Now this is Ephesians 1.10. This was His purpose that when the time is ripe, He will gather all of us together from wherever we are in heaven or on earth to be with Him in Christ forever. So we look forward to a reunion. I believe that there's going to be some level of recognition. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, Lazarus died and went to heaven. The rich man died and went to hell. Not because of his riches, but because of his attitude toward his riches. And in hell, the rich man was able to recognize Lazarus and and Abraham next to him. He was able to recall his life on earth because he said to Abraham, I've got five brothers. There's five brothers there. Maybe you could send someone to talk to them so they don't end up in this place where I am. So there will be some recognition. Now the question that gets asked quite a bit is what about my husband or wife? If I can't be with my husband or wife through eternity, then it's not going to be heaven for me. Because isn't, don't you think about heaven as being with your spouse in eternity in a, just a perfect environment with no problems, no issues that were associated with the relationship here on earth? One day some religious leaders came to Jesus and they presented to him a hypothetical situation. It could have happened. But they said there was this guy who was married legitimately to seven different women. Seven different times. Seven marriages. So in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus says, you misunderstand the Scriptures. In heaven, there's not going to be the marriage that there is here on earth. So to answer your question, then how can it be heaven without my spouse? It gets back to what we said earlier we are not able to comprehend anything beyond our physical dimensional world. We also read that God has prepared for us things that we have not even imagined. So I am absolutely, positively sure that we're going to be totally 100% happy with whatever program God has worked out for us. Who's going to be in heaven? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, angels, the church, all people who believed in God before Jesus came, babies, small children. One question is, what about babies? What about babies who have been aborted? Since Roe versus Wade, sometime around 1973, 50 million or more babies have been aborted. They are going to be there. Why? Because one is not responsible for what they are incapable of understanding. So babies will be there. Small children will be there. 
People with various mental problems will be there. The Bible says that God protects the simple-minded. Someone says, well, why don't you spend more time talking about aborted babies? I'll give you the reason. Babies automatically go to heaven. Adults don't. And so I am not worried about the 50 million aborted babies. I am concerned about the 50 million women who made that choice. I'm concerned about us reaching them. So there will be a reunion. Number two, there's going to be rewards. Rewards in heaven. What are you going to be rewarded for? Every good thing that you've done. All of your generosity. All of your sacrifices. All of your service. All of the decisions that you made to do what was right, even though it may have been tough circumstances to make that decision. Everyone that you have helped get to bring to Christ, you're going to be rewarded for all of those things. Colossians 3.24 Remember that the Lord will give you as a reward what He has kept for His people. For Christ is the real Master you serve. So here's the thing. You have to decide where you want your ultimate rewards. On earth or in heaven. You can enjoy a few rewards during the 80 or 90 years that you're here. Or you can enjoy a whole lot of rewards throughout eternity. So there's going to be rewards. Three. There's going to be responsibilities. Responsibilities. I am very much aware that the word responsibility in American society can carry with it some negative ideas. You may be thinking, hey, I don't want any responsibilities. I want just to be able to rest and relax and do the remote control thing, surf a few channels, really enjoy life. Whatever you enjoy doing here, you're going to be doing whatever is comparable to that in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that every day you're going to be fishing for world record trout or hunting for that world record uh, uh, buck with a rifle. But I believe you will be doing what is comparable to that. And here's the difference. In heaven, you're going to be 100% completely satisfied and fulfilled. If you make the most of what you have been given on earth, then God will give you more in heaven. This is Luke 16.10. Unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. What you do with what you have here will determine what God will be able to bless you with in heaven. So there will be responsibilities, but there won't be anything negative associated with them. And then four, this fourth one is something that some of you desperately need. Rest. Rest. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right! Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, 
They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. So I'm thinking about labor. What's a good definition for labor? Yeah, well, it occurred to me, what do we call giving birth? Labor. It is work that is produced at the cost of pain. And so in heaven, there's going to be work to do, service to do, but there won't be any pain and sorrow associated with it as there is here on earth. And then five, there will be rejoicing. There's going to be rejoicing. Rejoicing means fellowship and worship. We are going to celebrate in heaven. And I was going to say this to, to Will Baldwin. I'll say it to you, brother. <laughs> okay, I'll say it to you, David. In heaven, we're going to need David Naramore and Will Baldwin, but you're not going to need me. I hate to have to say that. You're not going to need me to get up on Sunday and give you four ways to control your anger. You won't need me to share with you, well, here's three things that you need to do to make the Lord happy and go to heaven. But we are going to need David and Will to lead us in our worship celebration. It says this in Revelation 19, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. The bottom line is that we have been put here to practice all of the things that we're going to be doing in heaven. But here's the difference. In heaven, we're going to do it perfectly. You see, down here, we love God and each other. But in heaven, we're going to love God and each other perfectly. Down here, we serve God and each other. But in heaven, we're going to do it perfectly. Down here, we honor God and each other. But in heaven, we're going to do it perfectly. So that the things that we're doing here, many of them we're going to be doing it there, but there it will be in a perfect environment. And I'm sure the Lord will give me a perfect voice to sing. You know, <laughs> may get some special gifts that we don't have while we're here. How do I get to heaven? How do you get there? This is a very important question because Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the door to the way of life is narrow. The door to the way to destruction is wide. This is Romans 1.17. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is only by humbly trusting God that I have any chance at all of getting to heaven because heaven is perfect and I'm not. So let me give you the ABCs. A. Admit. You need a Savior. At some point, you have to admit and acknowledge that Jesus is the only way to heaven. B. Believe and be baptized. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul and his partner Silas 
they're talking to this guy and his and his house, his his family. And they're having this discussion, and the guy asks this question. Look at this. What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with your entire household. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. So what do you need to do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and immediately be baptized. That would be quoting the Bible. C is confess. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. D, depend on His promises. Look at John 3.16. Let's read John 3.16 together aloud. Ready? Oh, wait, I didn't say start. Three, two, one, go. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. A minister asked the question one time, intending it to be a rhetorical question. He said, who's included in whosoever? And a little boy spoke up, that's everybody else and me. One last passage. This is Philippians 3.14. I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. This is the prize that God offers because of what Christ Jesus has done. If you were to walk out of here and become sick, and within a few days, maybe a week, you died, chances are it's not going to happen, but it could. Are you certain, at least to the point of a reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt, that you're safe? That's the question I want to close with. If your answer is, no, I'm not, then why don't you make it certain today? Make it certain beyond a reasonable doubt. Philippians chapter 1 says, it is the responsibility of each one of us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We can share things with you, but in the end, it is a decision that you and you alone must make. So please don't walk out of here because, you know, five minutes down the road, the memory of this lesson will already be fading. If you have uncertainties, turn them into certainties by doing the ABCs of salvation. Would you bow with me, please, as I lead us in a prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so very much. I'd, I'd, I'd just like to ask you to forgive me for being distracted. I, I get distracted by things that I know are not going to last. Would you help me to live in light of the fact that I'm going to be with you in eternity? And would you help me not to get so discouraged and bent out of shape over my problems? Because I realize that you are an almighty God who can take problems and make good come out of them. Would you help me to maybe start refocusing my values and then start 
start living for things that are going to last and things that I know in my heart matter the most. Father, I do want to be a part of Your church. And that's why I'm willing to be baptized. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, Amen. If you have a need, please let us know what it is as David comes up and and leads us in the invitation.